been a, a year since we've been at Harbor Town doing these joint services, and the time has flown. And I don't know about you, but it, it, was, it was just such a blessing to be able to partner for a year. And um, yeah, some, some just blessings that I think I didn't even expect, that I think I'm sure a lot of you didn't even expect, just the, the, the benefits of joining together with another congregation and worshiping Jesus together. Just so many blessings. And when we think about blessings, uh, today's passage, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This topic of communion, right, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, right, all these things mean the same thing, has so many blessings for us that maybe we haven't really thought about or knew. That communion really is a gift that God has given to us. For me, I grew up in church, small church out in Hawaii, Kai, about 25-minute, 30-minute drive from here. And I remember for me, honestly, taking communion as a kid, my main thought was, what kind of bread is the person going to buy? So we used to have the sourdough bread that you would go up and actually pull from the same bread. Now, post-COVID, right, that's like, you wouldn't even think about that, right? Pulling from the same bread, touching the same bread. But that's what we did. And I used to look forward to the sourdough bread because we never ate sourdough bread. We had the loves bread, but we never ate the sourdough bread. So Sunday communion time was the time that I could eat sourdough bread. But as I grew up to know more about Christ and communion, I, I realized that, gosh, like there's so much more meaning and blessing that communion is supposed to be. And I shouldn't have been taking communion at that time, right? As we'll also see. But communion is a gift that is given to bless us. And so... We're going to be diving into this topic of communion as we're in 1 Corinthians 11. And just, just feast on this gift that God has given to us. So let's get right into it in verse 17. Paul says this, Now in giving this instruction, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And apart, I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Well, it's some pretty strong words. Right? Paul's saying that when you're coming together, but it's actually not helping. It's not for the good. You're doing more harm than you are doing good. Right? Even though this gathering is supposed to be a blessing, or you ever had a family gathering, get-together, where uncles are coming over, aunties are coming over, grandkids are over, and it was supposed to be a reunion and a time of just, just enjoying each other. But then a family fight breaks out, right? Someone leaves because they're angry, and it's just awkward the rest of the time. Right? This is kind of what it was like in the Church of Corinth. There was so much division and, and, and um, issues that were happening, fights that were going on in the church. And Paul's saying that right, it is necessary that there be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Now, what P Paul is not saying that he loves when there's church scraps. Right? Church scraps can be ugly, really messy. Right? He's not saying, I love seeing churches fight you know, uh, amongst each other. What he's saying here is that, that it's good that there are factions and divisions and distinctions because it'll reveal who the people who are truly following the Lord are from, in contrast to those who are there just in it, for themselves. 
so that that dividing that that division can be clearly seen so that so that those who have been going to church for themselves being very uh hostile can see wow like i'm living different from these other people in church who are loving jesus and that'll give them the opportunity to repent to turn to jesus to to confess that they've they've been doing wrong in the church it's mercy that these divisions could be seen so that those who are doing wrong can see that they're doing wrong and turn to the lord paul's later later on in another letter to the church going to say you know like you should examine yourself to see if you really are a christian if the spirit is really in you right because paul's heart was that those in the church all of those in the church would truly know the lord so these distinctions are meant for people to turn to the Lord. And then Paul goes on, right? So what's the issue here? Verse 20, when you come together then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. Right, so this Lord's Supper, right, it's also called communion, also called the Eucharist, right? It has its roots in the Passover meal, right? And this is where Jewish families would get together and celebrate and remember God freeing them from slavery to Pharaoh, right? The Israelites were told to sacrifice a, a, a lamb and to put its blood on the doorpost so that when the, the angel of death passes by, they wouldn't be judged that family because they would it would he would see the door the blood on the doorposts this meal that they were to eat together the jewish families would be eaten quickly because they would soon be leaving out of egypt All right, and this is called the passover meal to remember god's deliverance of his people so what jesus did was jesus took that passover meal that celebration and he infused new meaning into it he connected that passover meal to his soon death on the cross so this is called right the lord's supper the lord right infusing this new meaning into the passover meal but here's the thing the church was supposed to come together and celebrate communion but that's definitely not what what was happening see in the early church they would meet in homes they wouldn't meet in cafeterias or they wouldn't have their own buildings uh they would meet together in church in homes and the person who owned the home was probably a wealthy person it's like in Corinth it was a wealthy person who owned the home because you'd have to have a pretty large home in order to accommodate the church and what would happen on a sunday is right the rich wouldn't work on a sunday so what would they do they would go over to the home that where you had church early have a few drinks right the potluck food is there they would snack on the potluck food right so by the time church started the working class would come in and they'd see people who are drunk cuz they're already drinking cuz they didn't have work as well as a lot of the food was eaten right you go to a potluck meal right you ever been to a potluck late and all that's left is what chips white rice a couple pieces of chicken that's it Right, you're bummed like, "Oh, I missed the potluck meal." Right? So here, right, the the working class folk, the poor people were coming in to church and people were already drunk, people were drunk, as well as food was was eaten already and church didn't even start. But not only that, is the good seats would be taken. 
right? Because they're already because the rich are already there because they didn't have work. They had all the good seats, so the working class, the poor, would come in, and some would have to sit on the outskirts, maybe of the room, maybe even some on the patio, in order to be a part of the church service. So, right, so there was division going on, right? There was inconsideration, right? All types of issue, and Paul, right, was not happy about this, and and that's an understatement. So, how does Paul fix this, right? How, how does Paul, right, deal with an issue of division in a church? between different classes of people. Well, he goes back to the gospel. And that's what we should do whenever we encounter conflict, is we need to start with the gospel. And so what Paul's going to do is he's going to lay out the theology of communion to address this issue. So in verse 23, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. When it says here in verse 24 that Jesus gave thanks to the Father, right? that word, given thanks, it, uh, it's where we get the word Eucharist, right? thanksgiving. Jesus is praising the Father, thanking the Father. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, in the same way also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Jesus gave instructions to Paul on, on communion. Whether this was directly telling Paul or whether this was through the apostles, right? Paul now takes these instructions and then gives it to the church. Right? That on that Passover night, Jesus uh, gave thanks before distributing the bread and the wine. Right? And he initiates communion. So here's the first thing that we want to know about communion. Is we participate in it to remember the gospel. The reason why we do it isn't to taste what sourdough bread is like, like I was as a kid. But it's to remember the gospel that Jesus is the Passover lamb who was sacrificed for our rebellion against God so that God's judgment would pass over us and fall upon his son. Right? Jesus freed us, not from Pharaoh, but from the penalty of sin, which is eternal separation from him. He freed us from the power of sin over our lives. Jesus established the new covenant in which God... His law would be written on our hearts, as the Old Testament tells us. What that means is we would not only know God's word, but it'd be written on our hearts. We'd have a desire now to carry out God's word by His Spirit. Right? And this was all accomplished by Jesus' death on the cross. And we take communion remembering and thanking God for, that, for His sacrifice. But here's the thing, right? It's, it's more than just remembering, right? Remembering is good, but it's more than just remembering. It's also, communion is also, we take it to be nourished by the gospel. Nourished by the gospel. Paul says in chapter 10, verse 13 of Corinthians, that when we take communion, we share in the body and blood of Christ. We share in the body and blood of Christ. Right? There is an experience that's happening. That word share in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, 
That Latin word comes from the, to, to the English as communion. Right? That's where we get communion from. It's this sharing, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, in the body and blood of Christ. Right? Jesus said to do this in remembrance of me. Right? So when we take communion, it's not just remembering a family member who passed away by looking at photos of them. It's more than remembering someone. Right? It's participating and sharing in this gift of communion right, that the risen Lord uses, Jesus uses to nourish, to strengthen, to encourage us. Right? This is why we take communion every Sunday. Sam Storms, he says it this way, the physical action of eating and drinking is designed to remind us that we spiritually ingest and depend upon Jesus and the saving benefits of his life, death, and resurrection. Just as food and drink are essential to sustained physical existence, so also the blessings and benefits that come to us through the body and, of, and blood of Christ are paramount to our spiritual flourishing. Right? When we take communion, it's remembering the, blood of, uh, the sacrifice of Christ, but the Lord uses it to encourage and strengthen us. Ultimately, taking communion is an experience that draws us closer to Jesus. Draws us closer to Jesus. Right? This is something that is deeply personal. Jesus said, right, do this in remembrance of me, not in remembrance of a religion, not in remembrance of a set of rules, but of him. Right? This is personal. Jesus wants us to be close to him, to love and to delight in him. He made that possible through his sacrifice for us. Now, here's the thing, right? We don't believe that the communion, right, the elements, we don't believe that the blood or, or the wine, the juice, the bread, we don't believe that they actually become Christ's body and blood. Like, we don't believe we're eating Christ's body and we're actually eating or drinking Christ's blood. But on the other end, we don't believe communion is just about remembering. It's more than that. Right? It, it's it's a, 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 an opportunity to draw near to Christ and to experience his closeness, to be nourished through taking communion. Or right, think about it like this. Uh, like um, when it comes to like my kids, one of my kids, right? Their status towards me is right there, my child, I'm their father. Now, if I were to go up to them and pick one of them up, and give them a big hug. Now, most of them are sick right now. That's why I don't see them. That's why if I say hi to you this morning, I keep my distance. Uh, I'm fine, but some of my family's sick right now. But if I were to grab them, pick them up, give them a big hug, right? They're going to experience closeness with, to, uh, to me as their father, even though my status towards them doesn't change. I'm still their dad, whether I pick them up and hug them or not. But what they experience is closeness and intimacy at that time. See, when we participate in communion, right, it's an opportunity to experience Jesus' love. Our status doesn't change. We're still child, uh, children of God through faith in Christ, whether we took communion or not, but we can experience closeness with Christ and his love in greater ways than if we did not participate in communion, right? When, when we're feeling distant from God, right, communion is a gift right, as we take, take it and draw near to Christ. Fourth communion, we take it to look forward to the future. 
We take communion to look forward to the future. Jesus said, right, that when we take communion, we proclaim his death until he comes. When we drink of the cup. Communion reminds us that Jesus died, he rose again, he ascended back into heaven, but he will one day return and make everything right in this world. So when we take communion, it's a reminder that every part of suffering and pain that we experience, the loss, the physical, the emotional, the mental suffering that we go through, right? it all has an expiration date. It's going to come to an end. Right? Every sin that we're struggling with, every temptation that we're battling, all of that will come to an end. It has an expiration date. Communion reminds us that the Lord is going to return, that the best is yet to come. Right? So whatever you're going through, that hardship, that difficulty, that challenging relationship, as you take communion, praise the Lord, right? That he will give you the strength to endure it, but also that that suffering will one day come to an end. So we take communion in hope. But not only that, we want to take communion seriously. Let's look at verse 27, what Paul has to say about this. He says, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of, Christ, of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep or died. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. All right, so what in the world is going on here? Some got sick and some died. What is Paul talking about? Right, so he's talking about taking communion in an unworthy way that our heavenly father right disciplines us he did the, the bible says that he disciplines those he loves that if he doesn't discipline then then we're Ill, Ill, illegitimate children or right? every good father every good parent disciplines in love their child and sometimes right what paul's saying here is sometimes that discipline means taking that person home early taking that child home early right some have died is what paul is saying he disciplines those he loves and what this shows us is that right communion is a gift but it's also be to be taken seriously because it's sacred it's special it's celebratory now here's what paul is not saying paul is not saying that you have to be and we have to be worthy of god's standards in order to take communion that's not what he's saying. He's not saying you need to be worthy to take it. Because if that was the case, none of us, right? None of us would be able to take communion if it was based upon how worthy we are in comparison to God's standards of living because we all fall short of it. What Paul is talking about then, he, he's talking about taking it in an unworthy way. Not being unworthy, but taking it, back in verse 27, in an unworthy manner or in an unworthy way. Okay, so what does it mean to take communion in an unworthy way? 
Well, one way we can take it in an unworthy way is to take it arrogantly. To take it arrogantly. Right? That means we take it arrogantly when we fail to believe that we are unworthy. It's when we think we don't need Jesus' sacrifice, we don't need Jesus' righteousness, that we're good enough on our own, that we deserve God, we deserve his love, we deserve to take communion, we are worthy in and of ourselves. And that is not the gospel. That's one way of taking it in an unworthy manner, is taking it arrogantly. A second way is taking it in active rebellion against God. Taking communion while being in active rebellion against God. And that's what some in the church was doing in Corinth. Right? Here's what that means. Right? Being in active rebellion means that it's a person who says, you know, I don't care about God's standards. I don't care God tells me to live this way. I'm going to live life the way that I want to live life. And that's, that's connected to arrogant too. Right? But it's living in active rebellion against God. Now, this is different than struggling with sin. And, and I want to make that clear, right? Active rebellion and struggling with sin is two different things. Struggling with sin, there's brokenness, right? There's, there's a desire to change. There's a desire for God's help. Active rebellion means I don't care and I don't want to change. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. That's taking communion in an unworthy manner. And the third way uh, to take communion in an unworthy way that I thought about is taking it while being in active division, towards other believers. Active, actively divisive and, and um, uh, causing conflict with other followers of Jesus. That, now, that, this is what the church in Corinth was dealing with, right? There was divisions among them, right? There was issues with the poor and the rich and people getting drunk and people eating and not waiting, right? There, there was lawsuits going on in the church early on, on, on in, in Corinth. There was, you know, comparison, uh, comparing spiritual gifts. Uh, there was uh, comparing favorite preachers. Right? There was a lot of division going on between people in this church. And while that's actively happening, right, taking communion, I believe, is taking it in an unworthy way. Jesus said in Matthew, right, to leave your gift there on the altar. When you have conflict with the, with Somebody else, another believer. You know that that person has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go first and be reconciled with your brother and sister. And then come and offer your gift. Right? Because reconciling with our brother and sister in Christ reflects our reconciliation with God. So taking it in an unworthy way is taking it while being in active hatred and division towards another follower of Jesus. Now here's the thing, right? As we see this warning that Paul is giving, right? This morning, right, if you come in, right, struggling with sin, right, you want to please the Lord, but you've given into temptation, right, this past week, right? Communion, that is a gift for, for you, for us, right? It's a reminder that Jesus died for those sins that we were struggling with, that we committed this past week. Taking communion is a reminder that he provides a way out of that temptation and will give us the, the strength to do so. Through communion, might we draw nearer to the Lord and feel his love and feel his embrace because he welcomes the broken, the sinner, the needy. Right? So this morning, you're coming and thinking, man, should I take communion? I just read this warning. Right? And I'm struggling with sin. Man, like, 
I want to be growing in Christ, but oh, I just gave into that sin again. Take communion, right? Because that's a reminder of how much we need the Lord. It's a reminder that He has died for our sins. Right? Take communion. Finally, here's the last encouragement from this passage. Take communion together. Take communion together. Look at verse 33. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together and eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I will give instruction about the, uh, the other matters whenever I come. Look at back, back at verse 33. Paul says, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. Right? Communion is to be taken as a community. Paul could have said, you know, guys, you got so much issues in this church. Just take communion at home. Like, there's so many issues. Just take it on your own time. Take it at home. But Paul doesn't say that, right? Because communion is meant to be taken together as a church family, right? And that's one of the reasons I, I think in 2020 it was so difficult, right? Because we could take communion, like, in, in our homes together, but there's, there's nothing that beats gathering together as the body of Christ and taking communion with each other. It's a gift. Because we're to experience God's grace, God's blessings together as a church family. Jesus instituted communion, not, not with one disciple or two disciples, but while his disciples were gathered together. Because communion is a picture of family. It's family. Right? That we all share from the same source of life. It's Jesus. Right? No matter our social or economic background, no matter our ethnic background, no matter our age or gender, right, we've all been adopted into God's family, and we all came into God's family the same way, whether rich or poor, high social status or low social status, everybody came to be adopted to the cross. No, one, no, no, no exceptions. Right? We're all on the same level, all in the same family. And we all have the same hope of Christ's return and our future home with him. So this is what the divided church in Corinth needed to he hear, right? that they are one family entering one way through Christ, and that they're, they're to reflect that oneness through their love and their welcoming and their consideration and their forgiving one another. Right? This is a message that they needed to hear, but it's also a message that, that we need to hear. Right? Communion is a gift that's been handed over to us uh, so, so as you're a follower of Jesus, right, don't miss out on the opportunities to take it every single week that we have it. And we're going to have the opportunity to do that right now, right, to take God's word and to put it right into practice. So I would encourage you, uh, if you didn't get a communion cup, you're a follower of Jesus, uh, we have them right on our back table. Uh, so you can grab one right now as we're going to be taking uh, communion uh, together as a church family. If you do have your cup with you, you can go ahead and, and, and pull it out. Right? We take communion remembering Christ's sacrifice for us. To be nourished in the gospel. Right? To draw nearer to Jesus and feel his embrace. And to know that our future is secure in him. So reminded of his body that was broken for us on the cross. That Jesus became human 
took on human flesh, really suffered, really died, rose again from the dead. And we take of the cracker, thanking the Lord that he laid down his life willingly for us. So let's go ahead. Let's take of the cracker together now. As we drink of the juice, it's a reminder of the new covenant that was in Jesus' blood. That God would put his spirit in us. That he would give us a new heart and write his law on our hearts. So that not only would we know his word, but we would now want to carry it out. So as we remember Christ's sacrifice, we remember the new life that he has given us. Let's go ahead and drink now of the juice together. Another way we worship the Lord is through advancing the gospel to the local church. Uh, one way that's done is through financial giving. You can do that online or give it the box in the back. Well, let's go ahead and respond now to this good news of Jesus, the gift of communion that he has given to us. So you can join me in standing as we sing to our King.